Galatians chapter 1. Verse number 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Down to verse number 9, please. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, And called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in to privily spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrawise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, there's that word, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go under the heathen, and they under the circumcision." Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. I like to hear somebody's uh, story. If I get opportunity to sit with a preacher, 
I like to know their story. Uh, I like to listen about how they were called and how they were saved and, and just a little bit understand their journey because as I listen, I find myself understanding certain principles and I see the hand of God and as you begin to talk to people, if you listen carefully, you can begin to identify repetitive patterns and principles that begin to be seen in common in the men that God has used. I've not had the benefit of living here in America where you've had great men of God at your access. I've had to study them from afar. I've had to read their lives and I've had to try and read between the lines of autobiographies and find out a little bit about their life. But when you listen to somebody's story, you can learn so much. It's such a delight to me here that in this book of Galatians, God had led the Apostle Paul here, at least in part, to share some of his story. And I like to see myself sitting here, and can you imagine just listening as he begins to say, well, this happened to me, and and you know that my conversion took place in this way, and, and you understand that after that I did this for a while, and then I went down here. But then it was a few years later, this thing happened, and I took Titus with me, and we went here. And there's a richness in understanding the story of the great men of God. And perhaps it's hard to find one equivalent in stature and usage to the Apostle Paul, certainly in the establishment of the early churches. And I want you, please, just to notice some things with me here. Uh, Simple things, but I think uh, profound, and that which is profound is frequently cloaked in simplicity. I want you to see, first of all, Paul's character. A few little statements here in verse number four, his introductory statements. He talks of Christ who gave himself for our sins. And I want you to see that Paul always sought of himself as a sinner. And he never lost sight of that. Now, why is that significant? Because if you have that spirit about you, you know, I'm saved and I thank God for that. And I thank God that Christ gave himself for my sins, my past sins. Uh, my present sins, uh, I hope there aren't too many, but regrettably I know that even my future sins will be covered. When you have that spirit about you where you would say, honestly, tonight I do see myself as a sinner, then you have a spirit of correctableness. It means that you do not see yourself above correction. You do not see yourself that you have arrived somewhere where you have nothing more to learn. What a tragic place to get to, that you would get to the place where you would think, I've heard it all before. There's nothing new for me to learn. I once was lost and now I'm saved and I don't need anything else. That was not the spirit of the Apostle Paul. He would stand with, with the lesser brethren and he would say, Christ died for our sins. We're all sinners. And he identified that as something of his character. And then in verse number 10, I want you to see, not only did he see himself as a sinner... But he saw himself as Christ's servant. He said, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And when he said Christ's servant here, he's identifying the fact, you know, typically we talk of servanthood. And sometimes, uh, not deliberately, but we can uh, believe that servanthood means we are men's servant. But in reality, the servanthood spoken of in the Bible is that we are Christ's servant. And in serving Christ, yes, we serve others. As much as you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And the outworking of our service for Christ is we serve others. And you did that wonderfully this past week. And your tiredness is a blessed weariness. 
But let us not forget that if we are Christ's servant, then our first loyalty must be to God and not to men. Our first, we, uh, you, I, I, I want to serve you, brother, and I want to, I want to be what I can be to be a blessing to you. But I must not lose sight of the fact that I am Christ's servant. When the man of God comes and stands behind this piece of wood, he wants to serve his people. His heart is a heart that says, I, uh, God, I want to serve them. I want to give them something. I, I love these people. I want to help them. But he must never lose sight of the fact that he is Christ's servant. And if he would seek to please men, then he should not be the servant of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, in character, he said, I'm a sinner, I'm a servant of Christ. And then he begins to detail some of the uh, the, the situations or the uh, the story of his salvation. He talks about the fact of uh, his uh, conversation in times past, uh, how it used to be. And a number of things the Apostle Paul says about his salvation. In verse number 12, he said, This thing that happened to me uh, was not after man. And one of the things we need to remember about the gospel is the gospel is not man's teaching. You know, we have this thought sometimes, if we can just sit someone down and really well and, and carefully and cleverly teach them this thing, hopefully they'll want it. And we might be able to persuade them to accept Jesus. But the essence of the gospel is the gospel did not come from men. The gospel has never been of men. And even though Paul's salvation was unique, and and it was uh, unusual in, in, in how that worked, the truth remains that the gospel is not man's teaching. I've been in, uh, I've been in uh, Buddhist countries. And they will say the teaching of the Buddha is this. I've dialogued a little bit with a leading Buddhist monk. And they will say, I say, what, what do you believe about this? And they will say, well, the Buddha, the Buddha taught this. And they'll, and they'll give you something. And really all you're getting there is just, it's man's teaching. And, and you understand, millions of people are a part of that. Many, many, millions and millions of millions. We often don't realize the vastness of the deception. It's huge. I remember, I remember occasionally I'd make little jokes about the Vatican. And maybe that was a bad spirit, but occasionally I would just do that. And you know what? One day I went to the Vatican. And one day I saw the enormity of the giant I was laughing at. And uh, it didn't change what was true. But it just reminded me the nature of the deception is gigantic. It's huge. There are many, many religions around the world and there are many philosophies that people have bought into for now and for eternity, but they are simply nothing more than man's teaching. And we must never bring the gospel to that level. The gospel is not man's teaching. The gospel is of God. The gospel is of Christ. The gospel is heaven sent. And the gospel, the gospel is spiritual. The gospel is supernatural. The gospel is not just man's teaching. And secondly, he pointed to the fact that not only did he receive a gospel and that came from God, he spoke of the fact of the timing of when he received it. In verse number 15, he said, but if you mark your Bible, it's a significant word, when. But when it pleased God. 
And then down to verse 6, to reveal his son in me. When it pleased God. And in doing that, he was acknowledging the fact that the gospel is something that is revealed. It's revealed in us. When you got saved, you didn't just get taught a new thing. In you, something was revealed. When you heard the gospel, the Spirit of God came and revealed the, the, uh, the Son of God to you. And it was, it was like it took a divine hand to fold back the blinds of your ignorance. So when did that happen? It happened when it pleased God. And God has a timing. And you cannot force that timing. You know, I have unsaved people that I wish I could force the timing. I have, I have people that it frightens me that they're not saved. And I wish I could speed up the process. I, I wish I could reveal the Son of God in them. But he said, when it pleased God, at God's timing, when God was ready, then God revealed this thing to me. And he saw that. And he said that the result of that was, in verse number 15, he spoke of being separated from his mother's womb. And I would say to you tonight, if you are saved, and you can say, look, there was a time when God revealed his son in me and to me. If that is your testimony tonight, then I can say with great surety that you did not realize it, but you were separated from your mother's womb, set apart. You say, I don't understand it. It's a comprehending of what God does and what we do. Our part is to take the gospel to the whole world. And God has to do his part. And you, in your salvation testimony, bear witness to the fact that you were separated from your mother's womb. It's a marvel to me, my salvation. I mean, it's a a marvel to me because I think of all the other 13-year-old kids that were in my town who never got saved. I think of the fact that I was not looking for God. The preacher said it earlier. But God came looking for us, brethren. God would want to warm our heart with that thought tonight, that he came looking for you, and he loved you, and he chose to reveal his son in you, and you've been marked as a child of God. And if you're not saved here tonight, you can get saved and you can be marked as a child of God too. But he said this thing of the gospel, it wasn't man's teaching, it wasn't man's timing, it was God. And he said it it showed I was separated and then of course I was saved. And then he went on to his service in verse number 16, working among the heathen. And then I want you to see also we have something of Paul's conduct after he was saved. In verse number 17, the first thing Paul did, he sought to get with God. He said, I didn't didn't set about to confer with men about this. I, I just wanted to get with God. To me, one of the great indicators that somebody is truly born again is there is a desire to get with God. You've come here tonight because you had a desire to get with God. You come to this place because you wanted to give something to him in worship, in sacrifice, in offerings. But you have come here tonight because you have a desire to draw near to him. And anyone who knows God wants to be near him. Anyone who knows God has a desire to get with him. And the Apostle Paul said, I sought to get with God. We know he went to the desert. 
he spent some time there with God. I remember there was a, a well-known professor of philosophy saved in our town in Brisbane in a great uh, revival meetings that took place and him being a prominent figure in the, the uh, education circles and being a lecturer in philosophy, they wanted to showcase his testimony. They brought him up to the pulpit and he gave a testimony a night after being saved. And it was very powerfully received. People saw the, the change in this man's life, a, a man who'd been taught in the bondage of philosophy. And uh, the evangelist visiting approached him. And he said, I know that you've been in a prominent place in a leading university. I want you to come on the road with me. I believe that your testimony would powerfully impact many, many lives. And I want you just to come. And, and uh, the fellow said, well, I, you know, I, I just got saved. I'm one day old as a believer. I don't, and the guy said, I want you to come. He said, well, I, I don't know, but I, let me pray about it as best I can. And he went and prayed about it. And that man's own testimony was, he said, I went and pray about it. And he said, I, I, years later, I heard this testimony when he was in full-time Christian service. He said, uh, I went and prayed about it. And he said, I, I felt God say, you hardly even know me. You just don't know me properly yet. And he said, uh, here's what I did. I went and quit my job at the university. He said, I was consuming all my time. And he went and drove taxi cabs just so he could spend time getting to know God. Now, later on, God moved him out of taxi cabs into some other things. But he sought to get with God. I hope if you've been inspired or provoked in any way this week in this conference, that you have been provoked to seek after God more. I hope, I hope there's something in you that has increased in your desire. And the Apostle Paul sought to get with God. And then the next thing he did in verse number 18 and 19, you have your Bibles there. He sought out the men of God. He said, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And he wanted to get with the men of God. In Jeremiah 5, 5, that wonderful verse, I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them. For they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. I found that people who want to walk with God want to be around the men of God. You've had some men of God here this week. You have a man of God there. What a great travesty it is to have the men of God and not realize what we have. He said, I want to get with the men of God. I want to get with the ones who know God and I can say tonight that you need the man of God in your life. I have some people in my church who don't have the man of God in their life. They're saved. If they died tonight, I'm sure they'd go to heaven. But they don't have the man of God in their life. And I can't answer for you tonight whether you do or whether you do not. But I can tell you it was a pattern of the Apostle Paul. He sought God, but he sought out the men of God. And then I want you to see also he sought the churches of God. He said, I went up there and they did not know me, the churches in Judea. They'd heard of me, but they did not know me. But Paul went and sought the churches of God. And ladies and gentlemen, let us say again tonight, the local church is God's plan and pattern for this day. And we, we cannot bypass the local church. Our, 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 our giving ought to be done through the local church. You see, we, we give through the local church and we don't quite get the spotlight. You're not supposed to. 
It's not about that. You're supposed to give it to God and let it go. But we want to, we want to bypass the local church because we want to be seen. Well, let me say that kind of spirit, ye have your reward in full. The local church is God's way. And we can talk about missions and my heart beats for missions. But if we neglect the local church, we have nothing. Everything starts in Jerusalem. And let's get excited about the local church. Let's get excited about what God wants to do in this local church. And let's commit some resources and some sacrifice and some time. And let's get some dollars and get excited about helping the local church get where it needs to get to. The local church is still God's way. And every blessing that we have and every ministry that we have, it flows out of the local church. We're not people tonight who believe in bypassing the local church. We believe in the man of God, anointed and called of God to stand behind this piece of wood and give out the word of God without fear and without favor. We believe in the local church, ordained of God, the place where the spirit of God blesses and multiplies and increases. And that's what he did. He sought out the local church. And then I want you to see that he went and began to communicate. He reported to those that he deemed to be in authority. In chapter number 2, and verse 2, you see he went up there and he, he began to say to them, look, this is what God is doing and I want to report back to you and, and, uh, and I don't need to, but I put myself under you. Imagine that. Imagine the humility See the spirit of the Apostle Paul willing to do that and communicate to them and, and to just, just fit in with what, what, how it needed to be done up there. And he went up there and he found when he got up there, there were some reprobates. In verse number four, he called them false brethren unawares brought in. And brethren, every local church has false brethren unawares brought in. Mark it down. I've seen it all over the world. Jesus said, I've not chosen you twelve myself, and one of you is a devil. You always have false brethren. It's just not always immediately revealed who they are. But he said, I got up there and there were some false brethren. And uh, he said they were trying to do something. He knew their position. And their position was you have to do certain things like circumcision. And if you, if you do this and if you do this and you do this, you'll be spiritual. He understood their position. He understood their politics. He said these people were legalists. They were trying to spy out our liberty. And he identified that. And he knew their powerlessness. He said they added nothing to me. Brethren, we we don't get people closer to God by putting them under lawful bondage. If the law could do it, we'd still have the law. The The law didn't do it. I, I, I want you to turn to two scriptures as we move to conclude tonight. I want you to please pick up uh, Hebrews chapter number uh, 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. Hebrews 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And this is a necessary teaching in our churches. I thank God for being an independent Baptist tonight. I thank God for the great heritage of our fundamental leaders I thank God for our stand on the local church in the King James Bible. I thank God that we believe and we have some standards and we believe that a holy God ought to be affected by people who are living holy lives. And I thank God for that. 
But I do believe if we're not careful, we face a danger in our movement. And the danger is we begin to legislate and legalize that which God has not asked us to do. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 19, I want you to notice there, it said, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which that better hope we draw nigh unto God. He said the law made nothing perfect. If the law had been able to achieve salvation, if the Lord had brought a sanctity in the life of the people there, then it would have been in place. He said, but it was not able to do that. And we understand from the scriptures, nor was that ever its intent. The Bible tells us that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It revealed our sin. In Romans, it's called a law of sin and death. And how tragic it is, and one of the things the Apostle Paul had to address here, was these people who had understood at first the liberty of Christ, but apparently some others had come in and wanted to put them back under a bondage that could never lead them on to where they needed to go. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, I want you to notice please from, first of all, verse 3, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. The tables of stone referred back to those things of the law. Look there please at verse number 6 who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But of the ministration of death, it's talking about the law. It was a law of sin and death. If the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, Which glory was to be done away? How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation, you need to understand the law was a ministration of condemnation. That's And that's tonight, that's exactly what it still is. You go back to the law, you put yourself back under a ministration of condemnation. You live under the bondage of a law of sin and death. It will do nothing for your living. It will not generate holiness. In fact, it will inflame the flesh. That's all it does. Not make you closer to God or push you further away. You live under a bondage of condemnation and defeat. Because if the law could do it, we'd still have it. But he said it could make nothing perfect. And God brought in a higher thing. Someone said, well, brother, I just need to do this for the glory of God. Brother, that's the wrong glory. Oh, there is a glory in that old ministration. He said that. But that's the wrong glory. And I'd like to ask you tonight, which glory are you working for? I'm doing it for the glory of God. Which glory? That old glory of death and condemnation? That old glory that failed us and failed us? It didn't, it it showed us our sin. But it, it could not work in us, spirit and life. And it's a, it's a tragedy if we go back to that. The Apostle Paul said, I knew who they were. I, I understood them. I knew their position and their politics. False brethren, unawares. Just trying to spy out our liberty. That's what they were trying to do. Just trying to take that away from us. He said, no. It's the, it's the much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. The Spirit giveth life. 
Listen to that. If you're going to burn for Christ, if you're going to have a hunger for righteousness, the law will not do that in you. Or oh, some of you, you run your home under a, under a ministration of, uh, uh, of the old glory. Deceived, doing this for the glory of God. is a spirit of sin and death. It can't work that way. But where the spirit is, there is life. And listen to me, there's holiness and there's sanctity. And the spirit of God never leads us less than where the law was trying to take us. But don't get caught back under that old thing. You'll lose. You'll inflame the flesh. And the more you inflame the flesh, the more you'll try and turn up the legalism. And it's a lose-lose. You cannot win that way. Burn in your spirit for Christ. Come under the new ministration, the greater glory. Don't be deceived. The, you say, I'm working for the glory of God. The devil has you deceived working for that lesser glory that he said was, was marked to be done away with because it could make nothing perfect. But it's the new ministration, the spirit, the life, the New Testament. When we get that in us, that's the thing. And I want to say to you tonight, as your spirit increases, that's how you overrule the things of the flesh. Oh, we get it wrong. We say, oh, I just got to stop doing this. I got to hold back on the flesh and your rotten flesh. I just got to kill that flesh. And you inflame it. You say, every time I try and kill it and focus on it, it gets bigger and bigger. Wrong approach. Feed the spirit. Inflame the spirit for Christ. Hunger for God. Go after Jesus. And when you do that, the flesh shrinks and shrinks because, brethren, you crowd it out of your life. And that's what you need to do. It's the right focus. Paul said, we confronted those people. Let's go back to Galatians and we'll finish. He said, they were powerless. They added nothing to me. Weren't able to deliver anything. He said, I listened to what they had to say. We sat there, no, not for an hour. We listened. And they seemed to be somewhat to somebody, but it added nothing to me. I recognized them as false brethren trying to spy out our liberty. That's all they were. And he was discerning in that. And the last year, I want you to see his calling. In verse number seven, he said, but contrarize when they saw. Who? Them false brethren even saw it. That the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. It was present even to those who opposed him. They didn't like it. They didn't like him. They didn't like his attitude to circumcision. They didn't like the way he was working with those Gentile folks. But they could not deny the hand of God was on the man. And that's how it is. People see it when you walk with God. They may not like you and they may not like anything about you. But when a man walks with God and a woman walks with God, it is unmistakable. And they saw it. He said they they recognized it. Not only was it perceived by his opponents, the apostles saw it. Verse number 9, James and Cephas and John. He said there, they perceived the grace that was given unto me. And brethren, when we talk of that manner of grace, we're talking of the gifts of God. And the leadership saw, this man has been given a grace of God. We see it. I don't know about you, but as a, as a pastor in the local church, when I see in somebody's life they've been given a grace of God, I want to recognize it. 
I want to say, that's, brethren, that's the hand of God. I see it. That's, you've been given a grace of God in that area. Now tonight, in a very real sense, every one of you has been given a grace of God in some area. You, you have an equipping unique that has been given to you. And it'll be recognized, revealed by God to others and recognized by those who walk with God. And they'll be able to say, there's a, the grace of God here. I see it. And yet the apostle Paul never believed that his grace removed him from accountability. Because as you read on, he said they, they committed the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and I, but they said one thing, we would have you to remember the poor. He said, I was pleased to do that. He did not see himself above accountability. And the grace and the anointing of God does not elevate us above accountability. And you might think you're God's gift to whatever ministry tonight, but you are accountable for what you do. And when you remove the spirit of accountability, you're a loose cannon on the deck that endangers us all. There's got to be accountability. I thank God tonight for the graces that were revealed in you this week. I thank God for the, the, the graces that I saw this week. You served, you submitted, you did it unto God. You were the servant of Christ this week, not the servant of men. And I thank God for that. And it's one preacher going to fly home to Australia, spend a lot of hours meditating on what took place here this week. Thank you, church, for teaching me. Thank you for helping me. May God increase you many, many times over and bless you as you seek after him.